And uh, so if you've got a Bible, you can check it out. If you've got version, you can work your version on your phone or your tablet. Or if you just want to look up on the screens, we're going to have just about everything up on the screen. So Psalm 149, verse 5 through 6 is going to be our starting point as we dig into the Word tonight. Let's read it together. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. The high praises of God in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. And what I want to talk to you about on this Wednesday night is the weapons that are in your mouth. Are you ready? And we're going to go ahead and focus on these two here. The high praises of God and that two-edged sword. We're going to tell you about that two-edged sword as well. But we're going to focus in on those two things as two of the big weapons that you have access to against the enemy. And they are right here in your mouth. You see, we got to understand this. What do you need weapons for? You need weapons because whether you realize it or not yet, you are in a war. Lord, help us. Yes, you are. And who is this war against? Well, the the Bible says in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities and powers and uh, um, uh, the rulers of the darkness of this age and uh, uh, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So we know that there's a fight going on, and now we know against whom this fight is going on, but I've got a question for you. What kind of fight is it? Well, I'm glad today it's a good fight because the Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith. Why is this a good fight? It's a good fight when you're creaming somebody rather than you're the one who's being creamed. You know what I'm saying? Why is this a good fight? Because it's a fixed fight because Jesus has already done what needs to be done to whoop the enemy on our behalf. And what we get to do is we get to maintain what he already obtained and we get to enforce what he's already done and accomplished. Hallelujah. So you see, the, the, the work's done, and, and it's interesting that, that in Christ, when you realize, you know, uh, it's interesting, let me just share this with you, that, that when you think about wrestling with principalities and powers, you get one perspective in your mind of what that looks like. But then when you realize, you see, there's other things that the Bible says about principalities and powers, you've got to put it all together. So we wrestle against principalities and powers. But the Bible says... That Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. So we got to put that in the equation. And then also that we're in Christ, seated in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. So when you factor all that in, you, you, you know this wrestling match is much more like... If you got a message to send to him, write it on the bottom of your shoe. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. So it's interesting. You know, we, we, we can look at one verse and, and say, we got to wrestle with those principalities and powers. But when you put everything that the Word says 
all together, which is what we ought to do to be able to have good context of what the word says, then we realize, yeah, there's a wrestling match, but this is a fixed fight because we are already far above principalities and powers. And Jesus already spoiled them, already whooped them on our behalf. And so that's the kind of fight that we're in. Now, what about these weapons that are in our mouth? Well, you see, here in, in these New Testament times, that two-edged sword is not in your hand necessarily, but the two-edged sword is in your mouth. Can I prove that to you? Oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll go ahead and get there in a minute. But, but uh, uh, we, we know that the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12 says, is uh, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we jumped ahead to Hebrews 4.12. Uh, but, but I, I want you to realize that and understand that, that, that this two-edged sword we're talking about isn't one that's in your hand because otherwise you could do this and this and this and this, you know, and, and, and you'd have a sword, but you'd be fighting a physical fight. You'd have a, a physical sword in your physical hand trying to get involved in a physical fight. This is not a physical fight you're in because... Ephesians 6, where it tells us that we are wrestling against principalities and powers, starts off by telling you that you're not wrestling with flesh and blood. Oh, yeah. Are you ready to get taught tonight? Ah. So, what can these weapons do? These weapons that are in our mouth, what can they do? What are they capable of? Well, that's why we're going to go ahead and take a look at 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5 which says this, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly weapons, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, hey, we, we see this here, that these weapons that we're dealing with, uh, are, are, they're not fleshly weapons, they're not carnal weapons, uh, but these are, are weapons that are mighty in God to the pulling down of strongholds. So that's the first thing they can do. What can they do? They can pull down things that have a stronghold in your life. Hallelujah. I tell you, it's a nice thing to be free of things that once had a stronghold on you. Or if you're dealing with something that has a strong hold on you right now, it's nice to have access to some weapons. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. Nice to have access to some weapons that can set you free from things that have previously had a strong hold on you. And also, it talks about uh, casting down arguments. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So, so what can these weapons do? These weapons have something to say when something comes to us and says, I know better than God knows. And even though you're never going to have the devil show up at your front door and say those exact words to you, because he's going to be a whole lot more sneaky and sly than that. Are you with me, somebody? But, but, but here's the thing. He, he is going to have an approach where in one way or the other, he's always going to want to say something that will put his word above God's word. Which is nothing new that's as old as the Garden of Eden. When he said, had God said that if you eat of this tree, 
that you will surely die? You will not surely die. You'll be like gods, knowing the difference between good and evil. So you see, it's as old as the Garden of Eden. And here's the thing, even in the ministry of Jesus, when Jesus was being tempted of the enemy, uh, uh, the, 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 the enemy, uh, he played his hand in a way to always act like he had the upper hand. To, to always come across as though, as though he had something better to offer than what it was the Lord had to offer. Well, the Lord's had you fasting. Why don't you go ahead and see what I have to offer? You can just go ahead and take the stones and make them bread. So you see, he, he was always trying to, trying to one-up the Lord in a sense. But, but the thing is, is that what we do is we cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We put down everything that said, I know the Lord said that, but. How, how, you know, come on, have you heard that before? Have you had to deal with that before? I know the Lord said that, but what's that? That's a high thing that's exalting itself against the knowledge of God. That's saying, I know God said that, but I know better. Well, I know God said not to worry, but I don't have enough good sense not to worry. Lord, help you. So, so, he, so these are what the weapons are for. And then finally, it says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So you see, when these things come at you, you, you need to have weapons whereby you can take thoughts captive. What, what I mean, I mean, you, you, you just, you, you just putting them in jail, locking them up and throwing away the key. You're putting your thoughts in jail, saying, no, you ain't running around here going thinking any kind of stinking thing you want to think. I don't think so. <laughs> As a matter of fact, what, what that allows us to do is, in a sense, have a bouncer at the door of your mind where any thought that wants to come in there got to go through the filter. And that, that's the filter. Are, are you a thought that's going to motivate me to obey Christ or disobey Christ? Because if you're going to try to motivate me to disobey Christ, you're getting bounced. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So. We're dealing with weapons that are not fleshly, but are mighty through God. But you are dealing with weapons. And of course, what are our weapons that we learned about in our first verse? The weapons of the word, that's the two-edged sword, but the weapons of praise. The high praises of God in our mouth. So the word and praise, the word and praise, those are the two weapons in our mouth that we're going to be looking at tonight. But, but you see, uh, uh, you, you can't think of your weapons as somehow being inferior just because they're not visible. You see, that, that's the thing that if there's, if there's ever a time we need to break that, it is now. We cannot think in terms of things that are unseen being somehow inferior to the things that are seen. And I'll tell you why. Because this very world that we live in, these visible worlds around us, the, 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 the planet Earth, the stars, the sun, the moon, the stars, everything that was created by the Lord, the visible worlds were created by invisible words. Hebrews 11.3 lets us know that the things which are seen were made of things which are not seen. And it's about time that we as believers stop putting so much stock only in what we see and not in the truth and the reality of those things that are not seen. Amen. 
This is so important. I mean, this is 101 for a believer who's supposed to be walking by faith and not by sight. And the just is supposed to be living by faith. This is what living by faith is all about. It's having a greater awareness of that which is unseen and yet very, very real than this stuff which is seen. Having a greater awareness of the things that are unseen and yet unchangeable as opposed to the things that are seen and changeable. Hallelujah. So you can use invisible weapons to change visible situations in your life. One of those is the word. We already read Hebrews 4.12 about the word of God being sharper than any two-edged sword. But check this out. This is Ephesians 6.17. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Interesting thing here that we, we need to take notice of. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The, the word word there being the Greek word rhema, which would imply to us the, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken Word of God, which means it's not a sword because it's sitting on your coffee table. It's not a sword because it's sitting on your lap right now. The way the word becomes a sword is when it's in your mouth. That's the way it can function as a sword. And it's a weapon that the Bible tells us to be skillful with. It's interesting that the Bible would say such a thing. Hebrews 5.13, in talking about uh, spiritual maturity, the, the writer says that everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Think about that. So with this weapon, with this sword, you can either be skilled or you can be unskilled. And, and, and this is not just about you having a weapon, but it's about you knowing your weapon and knowing how to use your weapon. And you see, the word of God is intended to be a sword against the enemy and not be a knife for you to stab yourself and others with. Anybody ever gotten beaten with the word before? Yeah, well-meaning Dumb people, Lord help us. But here's the thing, it's a sword against the enemy. Now, can, can the word cut you and bring you correction? Absolutely, all day long, no doubt about that. But, but the thing is, is that the word is to be used properly. It's a weapon against the enemy, but, but it's, it's something that, that for us, it, it's intended to bring co correction to us. But, you know, you can go ahead and bring correction to yourself or correction to somebody else without telling yourself you're just a no-good-nothing piece of trash and you're going to mess up all over again and all that stuff. Has that ever done anybody any good? No, certainly not. Because what does the Word say about that? You know, for, for instance, what does the Word say to somebody who's uh, having a desire to live for God and to do the right thing? But, but is, is having some, some struggles with some of that old dead life trying to hang on to them. The Bible says in Romans 6 that they should reckon themselves alive to God and dead to sin. 
You know, and, and so rather than getting beat up about the struggle you're in, God's got some things for you that, that can uh, uh, help you get all the way to the other side of this where the struggle's over and that dead man is buried for good. Hallelujah. So you see, a knife in a skilled surgeon's hand is a safe thing, but, but a knife in a child who's running around is danger going somewhere to happen. You all know what I'm saying. So you see, you need to know your weapon and know how to use it. It's not intended to go ahead and beat your brother and sister up in the Lord. It's you, you can go ahead and, and help somebody. You can point out to them what the word says and, hey, whatever the word says, it says, and that's that. You don't have to apologize for the word. But, but, but at the same time, this is not a weapon you use against others. This is a weapon you use against the enemy. And, and let me tell you this. You, you get schooled in the word before you get skilled in the word. Yeah. You know me and my, my, my words. You know, I, I like getting my words going on. You get schooled in the word before you get skilled in the word. You get schooled in knowing what it says. And then you get skilled in using it because you're putting it into practice. How do you get skilled at it? You're putting it into practice. How do you get schooled in it? You get taught. How do you get skilled in it? You use, you put to use what you've been taught, which is a very important thing because I got to tell somebody here tonight, <laughs> what's the number one thing in the parable of the sower that the enemy came to do? He came to steal the word. If you take word that you hear and you do it right away, he does not have the chance to steal it. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, we know that this word is a sword. Even Jesus over in Revelation, uh, it, it talks about that. Wherever that was, Revelation 1, 2, 1, that's it. Verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. So here is once again that reference to the word coming out of the mouth of the Lord as a sharp two-edged sword. And then we see what Jesus did with the word. Of course, I alluded to it earlier, uh, but, but, but when Jesus was tempted, what did he say? Matthew 4, 3 and 4, you can check it out. When the tempter came to him said, if you're the son of God, command these stones become bread. And verse 4, what did Jesus said? It is written. Boom. There it is. So Jesus was skillful in using the sword against the enemy. You can do the same thing. Because how do we overcome this dude to begin with? Revelation 12 verse 11 says that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. So you, you, we're getting this, right? How do we overcome him? We overcome him with the word. We overcome him with the it is written. Because... This is big. I'm going to go ahead and give you some strategies that, that, that you can just take this very night and start using. All right? See, speaking the word is both a way to deposit the word into your heart and it is a way to withdraw the word from your heart. Yep, that's not, we're not there yet, hon. I'll let you know. 
But speaking the word is a way that you can deposit the word in your heart. Speaking the word is also a way that you can withdraw the word from your heart. So you see, your tongue is both a deposit slip and a withdrawal slip. You could use your tongue to put something in, or you can use your tongue to put something, take something out that's already been put in. What is the problem? The problem in the spirit is the same problem that's in the natural. Is that people try to withdraw what they don't have in the account. Oh, Lord. What else can you say? People try to withdraw what they don't have in the account. And so your prayers bounce. And your faith bounces. And your words bounce because you're trying to take something out when you've not taken the time to put something in. So faith failures often get exposed in that light of trying to pull out of the account what was not sufficiently put in the account. So that's why the idea of this being your deposit slip and your withdrawal slip is very important. You use your words, you use your tongue to speak the word and plant it in your heart. What, what happens when you want to put the word in your heart? You speak it, it comes out of your mouth, it goes into your ears, and it goes into your heart. It comes out of your mouth, it goes into your ears, and it goes into your heart. You can listen to somebody else speak the word and get the same results. But I tell you what, you don't have to wait for somebody else. You can speak it for yourself, hear it with your own ears, and plant it in your own heart. And what are you doing by so doing? You are storing it up in there so that when you need it, you can go ahead and write a check on it and it won't bounce. So deposit the word in your heart on a regular basis. Now we're ready for that screen. Speak the word intentionally to deposit it in your heart and then you will speak the word instinctively to withdraw it from your heart. Woo, hallelujah. This is strategy. This is how to do this, how to do this life. Speak the word intentionally, intentionally to deposit in your heart, and then you will speak the word instinctively to withdraw it from your heart. Hallelujah. So, why is it that way? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Oh, yeah, we got people taking pictures. I love it. Yeah, go ahead, retweet that. Come on, somebody. Out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. So you've got control over what you're putting abundantly in your heart. Isn't that right? So you, you've got control over what you're putting in your heart in abundance. And whatever is in your heart in abundance will come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And this, why do this? Because this will help you when you get squeezed. Because I can guarantee you that something's going to squeeze you. Something is going to happen that will squeeze you. Somebody's going to look at you in that certain way. Oh, yeah. Say, so what? Yeah, you're going to get squeezed. And what's inside is going to come out. 
you're either going to go ahead and start speaking some word or you're going to go ahead and start giving a piece of your mind. So you see, uh, something's going to happen when you get squeezed. Whatever's in you in abundance will come out. So out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you are filled abundantly with the word and then you get squeezed by a trial or situation of life, what comes out in abundance? The word does. <laughs> now this is awesome. This is Proverbs 7 verse 1 in the Amplified Bible. My son, keep my words, lay up within you my commandments for use when needed. Oh, love it. And treasure them. But think about this. Lay up within you my commandments for use when needed. So what is the wise thing to do? The wise thing is to fill your heart with the word all the time. That way you don't have to be trying to scramble in an emergency situation. Trying to jam yourself full of word real quick because I'm in a fix. When you had a whole lot of sunlight and a whole lot of sunshiny weather where you could have done that a whole lot easier and under a whole lot less pressure. Oh, Lord. Put up that next slide. If you fill your heart with the word when you don't need it, your heart will fill your mouth with the word when you do need it. I'm having a good time tonight. If you fill your heart with the word when you don't need it, your heart will fill your mouth with the word when you do need it. That's why the scripture says, lay up those commandments for use when needed. Next screen. Says it a different way. If you deposit the word in your heart when the sun is shining, you'll be able to withdraw it from your heart on the cloudy day. Hallelujah. Deposit the word in your heart when the sun is shining, you'll be able to withdraw it from your heart on the cloudy day. And you know, it's interesting, because as I was thinking about this today, one of the signature messages of the founding pastor of Faith Christian Center, Pastor Sam Smith, was don't pour concrete in a rainstorm. Or don't pour cement in the storm. Which means you're not trying to scramble when trouble comes to go ahead and get the word inside of you and have a foundation of the word. No, you're always working on that foundation. Always making it stronger. Always putting another layer on, putting another layer on, making that thing strong and secure because you know trouble's coming. You don't know when, but you know that old Mr. Trouble is going to try to cause some trouble at some point down the road. <laughs> and you need to be ready. Hallelujah. Now, interesting that besides being called a sword, God's word is also called a hammer. And hard and stubborn circumstances can be broken with the hammer of the word. Are you glad about it? Jeremiah 23, 29. Yeah, I love this. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? So what's the word? The word's a hammer, right? 
Now you're applying the hammer against the rock. It says that the hammer will break the rock in pieces. So what is the rock? The rock is any kind of stubborn situation you got going on in your life that doesn't want to go away. And so you're taking that hammer you got and you're boom, hitting that rock. And then boom, hitting that rock. But ain't nothing happened yet. But I know this. I know the hammer going to break the rock in pieces. Boom. Hit that rock again. What you're doing, you're taking the word and you're applying it to a stubborn situation in your life. You've got something that the doctor said, oh, ain't no chance you're ever going to be healed of this thing. Forget about it. You can't be healed of this. What do you take? Oh, yeah. Well, Jesus already took care of that. By his stripes, I am healed. You're, you know, or, 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 or you got something to pay and, and, and you say, there ain't no way to pay that. Uh, rather than money at the end of the month, I got me some month at the end of the money here. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and there, there's just no way. So what, what do you do? You take what the word says and you say, my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, I'm checking something out here. Hey, you know what? That clock stopped at 817. But I got 833. I was was hoping it was right, but I didn't think it was. So I better keep this out so I don't keep you all here all night. All right. So, So that's how we take the hammer of the word and we apply it to a situation. Over and over and over again. Something's going to give. But the word won't give. Your hammer won't break. The the rock will break in pieces. Your hammer won't break. Heaven and earth may pass away, Jesus said, but my word will never pass away. In other words, your hammer ain't going to break. So how many of you can think of a rock in your life? Well, what do you do? You take the hammer And you apply it to the rock over and over and over and over again. What time is it? Church, it is hammer time. Yeah, you know I couldn't resist. Come on. Oh, yeah. Praise the Lord. Now, that which is subject to change is going to give in to that which never changes. Unchangeable word, when applied to changeable situation, will change the changeable situation. You just got to keep on hammering. Keep on hammering and never stop hammering. Amen. Now that's the word. That's the first weapon in our mouth. You, you like my picture? You see, we got to open our mouth. We, we, we got to engage this thing. The, 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 there's something about waiting for somebody else to do it for you. That's not how this works. You've got people that can teach you. You've got people that can help you. But when it comes to living this life, you got to live this life. You got to be the one to take the word and deal with the stuff in your own life. Talk to the person you look at in the mirror every morning. Nobody can do certain things for you. 
Some people can help you and be there for you and, and, and show you the ropes. But hey, there's a responsibility on us to live this life for ourselves. But the thing is, is that that's good news because God has provided you with everything you could possibly need to do it. Including the ability to give him praise. And that's the next of the weapons we're getting into here tonight. There's the weapon of the word that's in your mouth, but then there's the high praises of God that's in your mouth. And that has to be more to you than singing a few songs at church. Come on now. So let's see. How, how can we get started and look at the great benefits of this particular weapon? Let's start here. Psalm 8. Verse 2, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And you say, well, Pastor Ray, that's nice. What does that have to do with praise? Well, let's look at the way Jesus quoted that verse. Now, let me ask you this. Would you agree with the way that Jesus would interpret a verse? All right. Matthew 21, verse 16. This is Jesus He's making this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, and you got people complaining because everybody's saying Hosanna. And even the children are in the streets are saying Hosanna. And Jesus quotes this verse that we just read. And he, but he quotes it like this. He said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise? Hmm. Things that make you say, hmm. All right. Let's go back to that song, the, the verse previous. Now we're going to read it this way, with, with the way Jesus interpreted it, all right? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. Is there something about the weapon of praise that can shut old what's-his-name up in your life? Hallelujah. When you consider this, you realize that praise silences the enemy and the avenger. So if there's been anybody whispering in your ear lately and say, yeah, you, you think you're going to make it, you ain't going to make it. You think that's going to be paid. Ain't no way that's going to be paid. Yeah, you, you, you think you're going to get a good report on that? Forget about it. You're going to die. Yeah, you, you know him, don't you? Everybody got to deal with him. But you see, when your mouth is open with praise, his mouth got to be shut. And if you ever get to the point where you say, I just heard enough of you, start praising. Because what does praise do? Praise silences the enemy and the avenger. Silences him. Shuts him up. Mutes him. Where he wants to say something, he wants to talk that same old smack to you over and over again. And then all of a sudden you start praising and he's like. Mm, mm, mm. He's trying so hard to say something, but he got silence. Oh, help me somebody. Are you ready to start praising and silence the enemy and the stuff that he's been blabbing at you? All the stuff he's going to do. Praise will silence him. Now, 2 Samuel 22, 4. 
Let's check out this weapon. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Now, what's so key about that word so is this. You can look at it as uh, in this way. By so doing or in doing so shall I be saved from my enemies. And so doing what? In calling upon the Lord and recognizing him as one who's worthy to be praised. By that act of praise, what are you doing? You are actually putting yourself in a position to be saved from your enemies. Hallelujah. And let me tell you this, that continual praise results in continuous victory. Continuous praise results in continuous victory. Look at it like this. What does the Bible say about how we ought to praise? Psalm 34, 1 says it pretty well. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So don't be a part-time praiser. Be a full-time, overtime, all-the-time praiser. Hallelujah. Psalm 35, 27, 28. Oh, yeah. It says, let them shout for joy and be glad who favor my righteous cause and let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of a servant and my tongue, verse 28, my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all the day long. You know, there's a place in the Psalms where the psalmist actually wrote, my lips will praise you and I will bless you while I live. In other words, the only thing that's going to make me stop is I ain't living anymore. That's the only thing that's going to make me stop. And when I stop living here and I go there, hey, talk about unlimited praise. Here we go. It's a praise party. Psalm 71 verse 8 says, let my mouth be filled with your praise and with your glory all the day, all day, every day, at all times. Are you getting what the Bible's saying here? Psalm 89 verse 1, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever with my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. Glory to God. Not only are we singing this song forever, but but you know what? We're making it known to all generations. Hallelujah. We're praising them with the old school songs, and we're praising them with the new school songs. Because why? This is for every generation. Hallelujah. Every generation needs to know about his faithfulness and his goodness. Glory to God. Continual praise results in continuous victory. Now, consider this. And, and here we're not dealing with words in what we're about to read, but there is a, a posture. Shall we say the posture of praise? You know, the Bible talks about lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Uh, the, the Bible says in the Psalm, I will lift up my hands in your name. So, so think about this posture of praise and how key and pivotal it was in one place in Scripture for winning a battle. This is Exodus 17, verse 9. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. 
Next verse says, so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Moses held up his hand, and Israel prevailed. But then when you get tired, and, you know, it's hard to do this after a while. You know what I'm saying? And and, and you can let that posture of praise go down. And at a time like that, somebody, it's good to have some people around you that will help you with your praise. That will get under one elbow on one side, one elbow on the other side. Say, don't stop praising. Don't stop praising. Keep your posture of praise going on. Keep your hands lifted up. Because if you keep your hands lifted up long enough, you're going to win. Hallelujah. Check this out. Put up that slide, hun. I can call her honey because I'm married to her. When we praise him, we magnify who he is. We rehearse his goodness. We are reminded of how powerful and awesome he is. Next one. When we praise him, in spite of our circumstances we'll begin to notice a difference in them. A difference in what? A difference in your circumstances. When we praise him or magnify him, and what does that mean? That, uh, that means to magnify just like a magnifying glass. All right? He starts looking bigger than our situation. He is bigger than our situation. Praise simply reminds us of that and brings everything back into perspective. Problems that once seemed like mountains are reduced down to size when compared to the magnitude and majesty of the Lord. So to praise him is to magnify him. See, God can't get any bigger. God's already as big as he is, but he can get bigger in your view. In your view of him, he can get bigger. And the perspective of the praiser is described as this. You see the bigness of your God and the littleness of your problem. Hallelujah. You see the bigness of your God and the littleness of your problem. We're going to skip over that Second Chronicles verse. And I want to just go ahead and wrap up with a few thoughts here. First of all, it's interesting that, that, that in uh, Isaiah chapter 61 which is the actual chapter that Jesus read from. Remember when he was in his hometown of Nazareth, got up in the synagogue and read to everybody and and told them that this scripture is fulfilled right here in your hearing and they all got crazy at him, right? He was reading out of this chapter, Isaiah chapter 61, and one of the things that we see in this chapter is that... uh, after the portion that that, that we, we know that Jesus quoted from, 
that there's this portion that says that, that God wants to console those who mourn in Zion and give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Amen. Let me talk to you about the spirit of heaviness. Depression. See, depression will win when there's a suppression of praise. Listen to me tonight. Depression will win when there's a suppression of praise. But if your praise is not suppressed and your praise is allowed to be released, that's the moment where you're putting on the garment of praise in place of the spirit of heaviness. And that's the moment where you're making a, a, a conscious decision and with an intentional act, the intentional act of your praise, you are saying, I choose the garment of praise, which means by choosing the garment of praise, I therefore no longer choose, no longer will accept, no longer will put up with the spirit of heaviness in my life. For those of you who have or are dealing with depression, become a praiser. Praising is good for you in every sense of the word, for your spiritual health, your emotional health, and your physical health. Hallelujah. See, you, you got to get into the habit of praising him during your test so you, so, so you can ultimately praise him with your testimony. You praise him during your test before that time where you get to praise him with your testimony. You know, testimony is great. That means I got a story to tell of how I got to the other side. Praise the Lord. But test time, that's never any fun. As a matter of fact, you know, between test and testimony, you know what you're saying? Show me the money. Come on. I mean, you know, I want to get there. I want to get through to the other side of this. Show me the money, somebody. What did Paul and Silas do? They're locked up in jail. Their feet were put in stocks. And at midnight, they prayed and they sang praises to God. That's what you do. That's what you do when it looks bad. You see, this is intentional because you do this when it looks like I should be doing anything but that. It don't make any sense to do that. Why should I be doing a happy dance at a time like this? This is absolutely nonsensical to be acting like this in a time like this. But I got to tell you, when you walk by faith, you do some things that people might call you crazy, but I tell you, you got results about it. Because when you praise God at midnight, what happens? Chains fall off. What happened? As the Israelites were marching around the city of Jericho, and on that seventh time, and after that trumpet blast, what did they do? They shouted. And the scripture actually says that the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. You, you see, see we, we've got our priorities out of order because we would like to be able to have our shout after the wall falls. 
See, see, that, that, that seems to be more logical. Well, the wall fell down, so we're going to have our shout and our happy dance now because the wall fell down. But, but the Bible way of doing things is that you shout when the wall's still up. You sing praises when you're still in stocks and bonds. Someone said Paul would have done real good on Wall Street because he was always into stocks and bonds. But he praised God anyhow, even when he's chained up. And, 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 and when those big old Jericho walls, I mean, walls, they said, were so thick, you could run chariot races on top of those walls. But what happened? The people shouted. They shouted to God with the voice of triumph. And what happened? The, the walls fell down. In your life, by using the weapons of your mouth, by using the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the two-edged sword, and by using the high praises of God that are in your mouth, I want you to realize the potential that you have with those two things right there, to tear things down that need to be torn down, build things up that need to be built up, and let the enemy regret the day that he ever messed with you. Praise the Lord, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, that's why I told you, you need to tell your friends that aren't here tonight what they missed and get, get them on that podcast as quick as it's up there. This is something that people need to hear. This is something that people need to hear because when you do this and put this into practice, you see happening in your life what God longs to see happen in your life, something called victory. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's pray tonight. Father, we honor you. We're so glad. We're so thrilled. Hallelujah. Lord, we believe that the word's been spoken tonight. Because, Lord, this is not anything I came up with. This is all your stuff. And, Lord, I thank you that that you've laid it out there for us tonight. Father, we, we receive it. And, Lord, I pray if there's anybody here in the house tonight that does not know Jesus.